Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, July 14th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Governor Phil Bryant speaks out to honor the lives of the servicemen who died in a military aircraft crash. I think if you look at the lives that were lost here, this is an incredibly tragic incident. New Mississippi criminal court rules take effect this month, but there are concerns some judges won't comply. From World War I to operations in Iraq, Camp Shelby is celebrating 100 years of preparing troops for service. And hear about a program that empowers women to construct better lives for themselves and their families. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Phil Bryant is looking to honor the incident site in the LaFleur County where 16 servicemen died in a military plane crash. In a press conference Thursday, Governor Bryant announced he is declaring it an emergency area and says people should stay away until military officials have completed their investigation. The extent of the debris field has been increased to now now nearly five miles. Officials say preservation of sites and equipment is part of the recovery process. Governor Bryant offered continued help in the process. He also thanked the area's first responders. I've issued two executive orders today. Uh, One, an executive order declaring an emergency area within uh, the affected area. Uh, There are a number of reasons for that. One, to make sure that we keep people out of that area. This is, again, as I would refer to it, uh, is not only a crash scene, but uh, it could be a crime scene. In my law enforcement um, memory, but also a secured scene. So we have to keep people out of there. We, uh, they need to understand that there are still uh, potential threats that could exist if they're in and about picking up items uh, from the affected area. So we want to keep everyone out of there. So it is uh, an official area of uh, declaration for an emergency within that area. Anything that might be found in and around a five-mile area and this crash scene, this incident scene, perhaps would be a better way to refer to it. This incident scene uh, could expand over a, as large as five miles. And so anything that's found, if someone accidentally finds an item that appears to be related to this crash, they need to be able to return that immediately. Uh, it could be a federal crime, uh, particularly if it's ordinance or weapon. And so anyone looking for souvenirs, Uh, should understand that they may be violating a federal or state law. We intend to prosecute them. Uh, This is sacred ground, and uh, we should stay away from it. Secondly, we will uh, lower all flags in the state to have staff beginning at 8 a.m. until the end of the day and honor uh, the 16 servicemen who lost their lives in this tragic accident, 15 Marines and one United States uh, corpsman. Uh, And uh, finally... We are here to continue to assist the United States Marine Corps and the United States uh, Department of Defense in any way that we can. Uh, I can assure you uh, the state agencies that have been involved, MEMA, Department of Public Safety, Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, uh, that has done such a remarkable job here uh, in the very early stages. Uh, I am so proud of what they have done. Uh, The Marines have 
have, as always, shown up. This is their own, and they have done an outstanding job. The last Marine was found this morning and in the process of being uh, returned for burial. These are our men and women in uniform. Uh, this tragic circumstance indicate, indicates that uh, their job is always dangerous. And so we want to, the world to know that Mississippi is going to honor their memory, honor their service, not only now but into the future. The day will come when we will identify this crash scene in some manner, a monument, a plaque, uh, in some way that uh, when generations hence um, see it, they will remember that 16 of America's finest lost their lives in that bean field, and we will honor their memories forever. If anyone finds any remnants from the crash, they can call 1-800-ATF-GUNS to report it. Coming up, a look at the changes for judges handling criminal cases. Will they be willing to abide by the new rules? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. For the first time, Mississippi has a single set of standards for processing criminal cases. The state Supreme Court approved 34 rules, which took effect July 1st. The regulations include making bonds similar for the same crime statewide. Also, people are entitled to appear before a judge within 48 hours. Some are concerned not all judges will comply with the changes. Mississippi College School of Law professor Matt Steffi took part in a study uh, of the issue. He tells our Desiree Frazier the procedural aspects will be the same. For the first time, Mississippi will have a comprehensive set of procedural rules, laws, for the conduct of criminal cases so that the procedural aspects of criminal law, from warrants through arrest to to trial and after trial, will be the same from court to court and from place to place around the state. So for a long time, every jurisdiction has been handling cases a different way? That's right. There have been differences with, from place to place, say in, from north to south or urban to rural uh, jurisdictions. And there have been different procedures, say, in justice court versus county court or circuit court. And the idea was to have a more consistent, more uniform set of procedural rules and protections for people accused of a crime. What would be the most significant ones? Well, there are a number of significant changes in addition to to providing uniformity. For example, there is uh, established a presumptive schedule for releasing defendants on bond. So there's been reforms targeted at the amount of bonds and the procedure for setting bonds. Earlier intervention by a judge in a case where there's uh, an argument about bond, there are changes involved in appointing counsel, uh, the indigent defendants will have counsel at an earlier stage and more consistently throughout the process. There's uniformity in when a defendant gets an initial appearance before a judge to set bond. And there are other provisions late that, that kick in later on during the criminal process. So the idea is to provide more transparency and accountability throughout the process so that victims and defendants 
will kind of know what to expect and cases will proceed along similar lines all around the state. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Desiree. One issue that garnered lawsuits was having people in jail for extended periods of time who could not afford an attorney. Cliff Johnson is director of the MacArthur Justice Center at the University of Mississippi College School of Law. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the new rules may keep some out of jail. Desiree, we're very excited about the fact that these new rules should keep a lot of Mississippians out of jail who previously would have been incarcerated solely as a result of their poverty in many courts around the state. We're very encouraged by the new rules as they address the issue of bail. Previously, judges had fallen into the practice of imposing money bail in every criminal case, a practice which is illegal and unconstitutional. And under these new rules, the Supreme Court has made perfectly clear that the presumption is that you'll be released on your own recognizance without having to put up any money to buy your liberty. We think that's very important. It's a significant change in Mississippi. It comports with the law, and it avoids the situation where people with money get to leave the court when they are uh, accused of a crime, and people who don't have money wind up in jail. One high-profile issue was putting people in jail who had traffic citations and tickets, and they're getting stuck there because they couldn't pay the fine and couldn't hire an attorney. And that's another bit of good news about these new rules. Rule 26.6 of the new Mississippi Rules of Criminal Procedure makes clear that courts must make a determination based on evidence as to whether or not the failure to pay fines and fees is willful. Courts now must take into consideration the financial condition of every person who's brought before them for failure to pay fines and fees. And if that person's failure to pay is simply a result of their poverty, say, for example, someone who's on Social Security disability and receives only $762 a month, if the court determines that their failure to pay wasn't willful, they cannot be incarcerated. We outlawed debtors' prisons in America over 150 years ago, and both the United States Supreme Court and the Mississippi Supreme Court have made very clear that you simply cannot lock someone up because of their poverty. And these new rules clearly address that and require courts to make specific findings regarding the reason for the failure to pay. Now, how will you monitor courts to make sure that they apply these new rules? Well, we take that very seriously, and the MacArthur Justice Center has worked with the Mississippi Center for Justice in training some individuals to go into courtrooms around Mississippi to observe judges, to report back to us regarding those judges who are not complying with the rules. We've sadly already heard stories of judges who have basically said that they're not going to comply, and I think those judges run the risk of subjecting themselves to reporting to the Commission on Judicial Performance because the canons to which the judges are bound require them to follow the law. We're asking public defenders and other lawyers who practice around the state to report to us regarding compliance with these rules. And I will tell you that the Mississippi Supreme Court is proud of these rules. They worked on them for seven years. They were unanimously adopted by the justices. And I expect that they're going to enforce them zealously. They know that the law requires that judges do these things. And so I think that those municipal judges, justice court judges, circuit court and county court judges who are required to enforce these rules will be made to do so. Any idea why maybe some would object to enforcing these rules? People get so deeply entrenched in the way we've always done things. That uh, refrain is often heard in Mississippi regarding a number of issues, and it happens in courtrooms too. And frankly, that's just not true. I think we should look at 
July 1st of 2017 as the beginning of a new chapter. We should take seriously these changes and insist that courts implement them. People are going to get lawyers at an earlier stage, poor people who can't otherwise afford them, and there's going to be due process in courtrooms that we haven't seen before. So I would encourage people to be serious about making sure that if they're appearing in court, their lawyers and the judges before whom they appear are implementing these changes. Well, Attorney Cliff Johnson, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this important issue. Thank you. Thanks, Desiree. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Coming up, happy centennial to Mississippi's Camp Shelby. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Officials are inviting the Pine Belt community to celebrate one of the state's most prominent military installations. The iconic Camp Shelby Joint Forces Training Center celebrates its centennial this week, honoring the site's history while also ushering in a new era. Camp Shelby came into existence 100 years ago to train soldiers during World War I. A century later, it has grown to become the largest state-owned training center in the country. Camp Shelby has helped prepares troops for almost every military engagement from World War I to operations in Iraq. Colonel Bobby Ginn is director of Camp Shelby. He tells MPB's Ezra Wall how the camp was established back in 1917. Camp Shelby was, was first activated on July the 18th, 1917, as a training camp for National Guard soldiers during the First World War. It was one of 16 National Army camps established by the War Department to train mobilized National Guard soldiers. Although Meridian and Biloxi were early favorites for the base, Hattiesburg was selected. And a big part of the reason Hattiesburg was selected was because of the local physicians and businessmen uh, in the Hattiesburg area, led by Dr. Walter Wesley Crawford, Uh, With the help of George McHenry, Camp Shelby was named in honor of Isaac Shelby, uh, who was a hero in the Revolutionary War of 1812. So that's how Camp Shelby was established back in 1917. Okay. So talk about what goes on in present-day Camp Shelby. What kind of training opportunities and what kind of resources are you providing First of all, Camp Shelby is the the premier National Guard training site in in the country. It's also the largest National Guard training site in the country. And Camp Shelby trains soldiers on IDT weekends and on annual training periods. Now, not only do now do they train Army soldiers, but we do a lot of training with the Air Force, the Marine Corps, special operations groups that come in here due to us here at Shelby having very latest and greatest types of training aids to use. Uh, In other words, the simulation here at Shelby is the closest thing you can get to war. Talk about Camp Shelby's role as part of the community. I know across the country, wherever there are military installments and camps and bases, they become an integral part of the community. Absolutely. The military here in greater Hattiesburg area is one of the three pillars of the economy. Camp Shelby, no doubt, will always support the Pine Belt community here in Hattiesburg. 
Camp Shelby's annual economic impact on the state and local community is approximately $14 million. The Mississippi National Guard impact statewide is approximately $420 million. What are the ways that the 100th anniversary, the centennial of Camp Shelby, is being celebrated? We will kick off the celebration with a formal gala at the Lake Terrace Convention Center as, as a way for the general public to give back to the soldiers and, and salute our troops. This will be followed by an all-day celebration Saturday, July the 15th, here at Camp Shelby, and we'll also hold a dedication for the Soldiers Memorial Monument. Our guest has been Colonel Bobby Ginn, the commander at Camp Shelby. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, sir. Thank you. You can find more information on Facebook at Camp Shelby 1917. Coming up, hear about a program on the coast that trains women for jobs in construction. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi women have a unique opportunity to begin a career in the construction industry. The Moore Community House in Biloxi is the site for the Women in Construction Training, Employment, and Resource Center. Nationally, only 3% of jobs in construction are held by women. The Moore Community Houses Initiative is working to change that. Julie Kuklinski is Program Director at Moore. She tells us how the program began. The Women in Construction program began in 2008 after Hurricane Katrina because women needed good jobs and we also need to rebuild the coast. So it seemed like an obvious fit when we first began. And since we've started the program, we've actually graduated around 400 women. What is the average salary in the construction industry? So apprenticeship programs start at about $20 an hour and oftentimes that triples the person's wages. So that is life-changing for many of our participants of the program. What kinds of jobs are they being trained for? So we do general industry training here in-house, and that is a base for all construction jobs. And it's a pre-apprenticeship training program, so that will give them the skills they need to go into several different skill trades. We also do electrical training in-house, and we partner with other agencies to do the welding training and other kinds of trade-specific training. How rare is it to find a woman in a construction job? Nationally, it's actually less than 3% of women in the construction trades. And the way we see it is right now, our state and our nation is looking to train middle-skill workers, and there's a huge shortage of workers. And so why not train women to fulfill those roles, and why not train them in high-wage careers? How is the initiative funded? Uh, Historically, we've been funded by private foundation grants. But last year we received a four-year Department of Labor grant. And that grant is designed to look at the workforce delivery system along with child care delivery for women to go to work. And so this grant has allowed us to be able to pay for child care costs for women who go through our program in a certain duration after. So this has changed our program substantially. And we also are now tripling the numbers of women we serve. Julie Kuklinski is the program director for the Moore Community House. Julie, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Leaders at the Moore Community House are working to expand access to construction to more women around the state. Ethel Williams moved from Jackson to participate in the program. She tells us how she made the decision. I was living in Jackson, um, going through a transition, and I was looking for a job. 
So I was looking on Craigslist and I see this ad for women in construction. And I also considered a CNA class that was in Mobile. So I took the two and I put them in front of me, you know, like what's the pros and cons of each. The women in construction were offering transportation assistance and they were offering childcare assistance. So I knew that I had three small kids and I knew the cost of childcare would lead me to be working only to be able to pay for childcare and wouldn't leave money for my bills. So it was just like a no-brainer. I, I chose the women in construction and I was accepted into the program. So the first day of class, I came with nowhere to live. I stayed in the hotel the first night, and then I applied for housing, and everything just came together after that. You came down a lot of faith if you didn't have a place to live. I had to walk out on faith because I needed a change in my life, and I needed something to find my independence, and I had nothing else to lose. What did you train to do, and what are you doing? I was trained in general construction, learning how to use the basic hand tools, so after I completed that class, they asked me to come on as an instructor assistant with the following class. They also offered me the welding program at the community college. So during the day, I'm an instructor assistant at Women in Construction. And at night, from 49, I go to welding class at the community college in Gulfport. Do you see yourself in the future actually with a hammer in hand and, and building things? I do. I knew nothing about construction before I came down. And just learning construction, it seems more of a hobby. It's something that you love, but I definitely want to get into the field. I was actually waiting on the Plumbers Union to open up in late August. Your future looks pretty bright. It does. Yeah, just coming to this program, it, it gave me a sense of hope, you know, like you just be in a place of contentment in your life or you just be in a place that you don't have hope or you don't know how to dream or see past where you at and just coming here, the possibilities and the confidence and the empowerment that you get from the program, you can take it into any field, really, and it just it gives you that boost that you need and how to deal with your barriers in life. It just makes your possibility limitless. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us, Ethel Williams, and we wish you the very best as you move forward into this new career. Thank you. The facility is celebrating with a ribbon-cutting ceremony today at 11, that's this morning, to mark the launch of the initiative. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. At, at 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again Monday morning after a great weekend at 8.30 Monday for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.
Hey, y'all, it's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener, and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about gardening and garden-related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. On the next Fit to Eat, I'll be preparing a savory pan-seared steak that I'm going to top with a strawberry compote, and then I'll make some fresh homemade potato crisps. Registered dietitian Rebecca Turner has some tips for buying beef, and my guest is the lieutenant governor of the great state of Mississippi, Tate Reeves. It's going to be a great show, so tune in and see what's fit to eat. Saturday at 1.30 and Sunday at 10 on MPB TV. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at Woodward.